When an emergency strikes, Preppy has you covered. Made in California, canvas and leather emergency kits packed with survival food, water, and first aid with optional emergency satellite communication. Go to Preppy.co. That's P-R-E-P-P-I dot C-O slash Filmweek. From the Moan Broadcast Center, it's Film Week. I'm Larry Mantle. Wonderful to have you with us this week with critics Tim Cogshell of Alt Film Guide and Synagogues.com and Christy Lemire, who's film critic for RogerEbert.com and co-host of the Breakfast All Day podcast. We begin with the drama Clemency, starring Alfred Woodard and Aldous Hodge. The film's written and directed by Chinoya Chuku. Christy, what would you think of Clemency? Alfred Woodard is just tremendous and does not get enough opportunities to really dig into leading roles like this. I mean, she's always so good in everything, but so frequently gets to do strong work in a supporting part. And she is absolutely at the center of this. She plays the warden at a prison. She's been there for a long time. She is unflappable no matter what happens. We see a horrific scene at the very beginning of the film with a uh, an execution that goes horribly wrong and you know she's just steady and steadfast no matter what happens takes the job very seriously everyone takes her very seriously she's really good at what she does and then this one case comes along this one young man played by Aldous Hodge who is set to be executed for murder comes along and it begins to shake her and it makes her start to question Everything she has done, everything she has built her life on, we slowly but surely learn about what she does with her free time, how she unwinds after, you know, what must be a difficult job, what she does at the end of the day, what life is like for her at home with her husband, played by Wendell Pierce, who is just excellent, Mm. doing some of the absolute best work of his career here. He's such a, a lovely, sympathetic figure here. And it's just this really fascinating character study. And Alfred Woodard does so much so subtly. I mean, this sounds like an eat-your-vegetables kind of topic. And the film is really subtle and understated and lets her do so much just with her presence and with her eyes. It's a really lovely, strong performance. Yeah, uh, the film has all sorts of ideas about the death penalty, but it isn't so much about uh, the death penalty is right, the death penalty is wrong. It's about the cost of this. Uh, Not the financial cost, but the human toll. And by looking at the warden uh, who uh, has sworn to carry out these things very, very specifically, um, and, and, and is obviously a person who is in support of the death penalty, yet we see what this is doing to her life, how it is literally ripping her apart. Film opens uh, with a uh, with a death penalty being carried out. Uh, it all goes wrong. It's just absolutely horrifying, just horrifying. And we've heard about these things over the last uh, several years in various different states. So this 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 film sort of shows us what these th- things can look like then. Um, uh, Alfred Woodard, uh, absolutely extraordinary here. If, if if you've ever seen a film called Passion Fish, mm-hmm. Alfred Woodard film, see that movie. Go a little bit deeper. Alfred Woodard is in a film called Miss Firecracker. It's actually a Holly Hunter film. Oh, yeah. But she plays her best friend mm-hmm. in that movie, and she's extraordinary. So so for 40 years, Alfred Woodard uh, has been doing this 
this kind of work, and I'm really glad she gets to work it out here. Um, we're going to talk about another film uh, in, in the same ter- territory a little bit later on, Just Mercy, uh, uh, in, in the movie. But this is a very, very powerful film. And uh, Wendell Pierce, you're absolutely this uh, and this and Burning Cane. Burning Cane. Uh, you know, I, I think that we're coming to realize what a, what what a gem we have in Wendell Pierce uh, as an actor. Uh, yeah, this movie, you know, look, holiday, uh, you know, a holiday joy, no, <laughs> uh, but a very, very powerful movie. About well, I'm I'm not familiar with the director uh, Chuku. Uh, Chuku. Yeah, Chuku. what has she done before? Um, I believe this is a first feature for her. It's a very early feature for her, at least. And she's gotten a couple of Spirit Award nominations for this film. Um, it's just a, it's a really sure hand and a really subtle eye and a great ear for tone, given the heaviness of the subject matter. You know, it's she not that it's light, but it's subtle and it's immersive. Mm-hmm. Very quiet film. Mm-hmm. Very often. We're talking about the film Clemency. Uh, the movie is rated R, written and directed by Chinoya Chuku. It's at the Landmark in West Los Angeles. So the only other feature, by the way, that Chuku's directed is called Alaska Land. Uh, Clemency's rated R. Uh, also a film that we talked about uh, that opened on Christmas Day this week, 1917. We talked about it last week, and we revisit the film uh, listening to uh, this portion from the Sam Mendes directed and co-written film. Dean Charles Chapman and George McKay stars two British soldiers whose general, played by Colin First, gives them a seemingly impossible mission. They're to deliver a message deep behind em- enemy lines in the hopes of stopping an ambush. The second are due to attack the line shortly after dawn tomorrow. They have no idea what they're in for. And we can't warn them. As a parting gift, the enemy cut all our telephone lines. Your orders are to get to the second at Kwasi Wood, one mile southeast of the town of Akust. Deliver this to Colonel Mackenzie. It is a direct order to call off tomorrow morning's attack. If you don't, it will be a massacre. We will lose two battalions, 1,600 men, your brother among them. You think you can get there in time? Yes, sir. 1917, one of the rare films set during World War I. Tim? Uh, these two young soldiers uh, sent off on this mission. So Sam Mindy's, Sam Mindy's, this is, a, this is an, uh, an aggregation of stories uh, uh, told to Sam Mindy's by his uh, a grandfather. Uh, who was in World War II, and it happens to be uh, the author Alfred Mendes, uh, who was one of the founders of uh, Beacon Magazine, uh, a writer of a couple of notable notable novels. Uh, so th- this is and you the- meant World War One. World right? War One. Yeah. Sorry, yes, thank you very much. Uh, so these are stories cobbled together uh, uh, that 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 he and his co screenwriter wrote. Um, Technology is at work in the making of this movie. So we begin this film with this long shot. takes four minutes from when the film opens up uh, and these young men are tapped to walk through the trenches uh, to get to the commander's shack. It's four minutes and they're talking. They're walking past all these soldiers and interacting. And right there, you get the sense of what it was like to be in the trenches during World War One, and then they're given this assignment. And the film doesn't stop. We keep tracking with them as they work their way to who they have to talk to and out into no man's land uh, and across uh, uh, this bob-wired field to do what they have to do. Now, this is all a, all a trick. It's meant to seem seamless. It's not really. Um, um, there are cuts here, but you don't notice them unless you're thinking about them. Um, uh, Sam Mendes. Sam Mendes has directed, uh, he started on stage, sort of reconceived cabaret, uh, reconceived uh, uh, 
in the sort of like uh, middle 70s. And then from there it gets to James Bond. Yeah, yeah, American Beauty too. Uh, so he has this sort of sense of the drama, but he also has that sort of Bondian expertise, and this thing is really cranked up at a certain point. What do you think, Christy? This is a tremendous technical achievement, and I was just dazzled the whole time. I will admit that I am a sucker for a long tracking shot. And I'm a sucker for this gimmick. I dug Birdman. I, I And I, I can see where the seams are. Like, if you're looking, you can see, okay, there's probably a cut. But what it takes to construct these, like, nine, ten-minute long shots, just the choreography. we got to mention the name Roger Deakins mm. because the man is a wizard. He's and a he's so good at his job. And there are so many shots here where I'm like, how did they do that? Because you really do feel like you were walking every step of the way with these two soldiers. And that's like up and down hills and in and out of trenches and like slogging through mud and across water. And maybe they shot some of it with drones. I don't know. All I know is that I was dazzled. There is one sequence about mm, two thirds of the way in that takes place at night. And the light of these overhead like the, from the shelling, yeah, yeah. The planes, yeah, yeah. Plane, and it's casting these shadows that look like these evil fingers, like lurching out at this guy as he's trying to make his way through this like Stonehenge of, of rubble. Yeah. Um, it is gorgeous. See it in a theater with the absolute biggest screen and best sound design you can, because while it's a feast visually, it's also so immersive from a, a, a sonic point of view as well. It's open for its Oscar qualifying run at the AMC Century City, the landmark in West LA. Before the film goes wider, Sam Mendes, the director and co-screenwriter, 1917, is rated R. Just Mercy, legal drama directed by Destin Daniel Cretton. It stars Jamie Foxx, Michael B. Jordan, and tells the story of real-life civil rights attorney Brian Stevenson. Uh, Jordan portrays him, and uh, Stevenson's efforts to exonerate Walter McMillan, played by Foxx. Why are you doing this? Why am I a lawyer? No, no, why is you a lawyer down here in Alabama taking these cases that ain't nobody going to pay you for? When I was a teenager, my grandfather was murdered over a black and white TV. We kept waiting for someone to show up to help. And that's when I realized that outside my community, nobody cared. Because to them, he's just another black man killed in the projects. I know what it's like to be in the shadows. That's why I'm doing this. The film is Just Mercy. It's in theaters right now. When we come back from our break, we're going to hear what our critics think about the movie starring Michael B. Jordan, Jamie Foxx, and Brie Larson. Destin Daniel Cretton not only directed, but co-wrote the film with Andrew Lanham. You're listening to Film Week on 89.3 KPECC. I'm Larry Mantle. Wonderful to have you with us. We deeply appreciate all the support that you show for Film Week every week right here on 89.3 KPCC. We'll be back in a couple minutes. Preppy wants everyone to be prepared for any situation. By bringing design to the forefront of their emergency kits, they are making earthquake prep less daunting and maybe even a little fun. Made in California, Preppy's attractive canvas and leather bags are designed to be displayed right in your living room or office. If an emergency strikes, your most essential supplies are at arm's length, not stashed somewhere deep in your closet. Though the Preppy line is quite handsome on the outside, the contents they include are incredibly comprehensive, helping you face real emergency situations with confidence. Go to Preppy.com. 
co. That's P-R-E-P-P-I dot C-O slash filmweek for more information. Wonderful to have you with us on Film Week. I'm Larry Mantle. Thank you so much for all your support for Film Week on KPCC. Our critics are so devoted to telling you about all the great movies out, particularly this time of year. We're joined this week by critics Christy Lemire and Tim Cogshell. Just Mercy stars Michael B. Jordan, Jamie Foxx, and Brie Larson. Destin Daniel Cretton, the director and co-screenwriter of uh, this uh, legal thriller, Tim? Yeah, uh, this is not a story that one uh, has not seen before, yet it is a story that is uh, so deeply true and so moving uh, for a couple of different reasons. So Jamie Foxx plays Walter McMillan. Uh, There's a 60 Minutes episode on which Walter McMillan appears. Uh, Watch it and then look at Jamie Foxx. And there was an HBO doc on on Stevenson that would aired earlier this year. Brian Stevenson, uh, a young man, oddly, uh, uh, Michael B. Jordan, about the age now that Brian Stevenson was when he began all of this. Look at pictures of them side by side again bizarre that he looks just like him as a young man. Um, um, uh, 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 Mr. McMillan accused of a murder that he absolutely, absolutely, positively did not commit. Uh, All kinds of things were done incorrectly and uh, deliberately by law enforcement to convict him of this murder. He's on death row. There are people who can exonerate him. Uh, Brian Stevenson goes down to this community to take on to take on this case. It's uh, um, fortuitous that you played uh, that clip that we did right before the break. Uh, Jamie Foss Fox asking that question, why are you here? This is why he's there. Uh, And this is what I think resonates most deeply in this movie. He's there because, uh, but for a few circumstances, there go he, this young black man. In his own family, this has happened before. His grandfather, Stevenson's family. Yeah. Now we look at we look at Michael B. Jordan, and I and, and I and I spoke with him about this movie, and, and and one of the reasons he wanted to do it is because he saw his whole family in the heart of this movie. A big chunk of this movie has Brian Stevenson going uh, to Mr. McMillan's family, his wife, his children, uh, uh, cousins, just big extended family, all fighting as hard as they can to get this man out of prison, uh, and he identified completely with that family and their pain. So this movie isn't so much just about the system, just about the death penalty. Rob Morgan, outstanding work in this movie. O.J. O'Shea Jackson, uh, uh, you know, know, Ice Cube's kid, Uh, outstanding work in this movie uh, uh, on death penalty, all playing actual people. So this is a very powerful, deeply moving movie, Uh, not a story that we haven't heard before. What's wonderful about it, again, if you see the HBO, is that he wins. He wins. And we don't kill that man. What's very unfortunate is O'Shea's also very talented on the radio. This seems very unfair to me. He's a terrific actor and a great radio host as well. Just Mercy, starring Michael B. Jordan, Jamie Foxx, and Brie Larson. It's rated PG-13. Now at Arclight in Hollywood and AMC Century City. And then uh, it's going to go into wider release early next month. Also uh, opening this week on Christmas Day was Little Women, the latest version written and directed by Greta Gerwig, Saoirse Ronan, Emma Watson, Timothy Chalamet, and Meryl Streep star Christy. Love this movie. It is gorgeous. It is just an absolutely lovely film that will make you feel so extremely good walking out of it. It is a version of Little Women that takes place when the novel takes place. There have been some contemporary adaptations of it. This takes place then, but Greta does some time hopping back and forth, and um, but still maintains the meat 
of the story. Four sisters with their mom, the dad's off fighting the Civil War, and it's how they grow up and who they become in the midst of all this turmoil. And so Saoirse Ronan is Joe. And she can just do everything. I mean, and she and Florence Pugh both are just tremendous in this. They, they bring to life these characters that we've seen so many times and we know so well and um, are so delightful. Costume design is perfect. Alexander Platt's score is one of his absolute best. It's just transcendent. It's lovely. Uh, Let's listen to a, a, a selection. You mentioned Florence Pugh, and uh, this is uh, from the film uh, Little Women. Timothy Chalamet also here. I've always known I would marry Rich. Why should I be ashamed of that? There's nothing to be ashamed of, as long as you love him. Well, I believe we have some power over who we love. It isn't something that just happens to a person. I think the poets might disagree. Well, I'm not a poet. I'm just a woman. And as a woman, there's no way for me to make my own money. Not enough to earn a living or to support my family. And if I had my own money, which I don't, that money would belong to my husband the moment we got married. And if we had children, they would be his, not mine. They would be his property. So don't sit there and tell me that marriage isn't an economic proposition, because it is. It may not be for you, but it most certainly is for me. Florence Pugh from Little Women. Tim. Mm, you might call this uh, Little Women Awake, Awoke Little Women, uh-huh. uh, is, is, is what this is. Greta is doing some absolutely out- outstanding work here. Um, um, Sorsha is fantastic in this film. This is what I like about this film. So um, uh, there's that wonderful uh, 1868 uh, Louise May Alcott novel. Uh, which is set during the Civil War. Uh, and, and, and all of the things that sort of accrue to women during that time is in that novel. But we have um, Joe, who, who we have, need to understand. Joe is Louisa May. Uh, th- that's as close to Louisa May Alcott as you're ever going to get. That, that she's writing herself into that character. Um, and, and, and she had this very particular um, relationship with her mother, Louisa May Alcott. There are these wonderful letters written between them. You can find them online. I read some of them. Uh, dialogue, uh, passages from those letters are in this movie. Not, not from the book, but from the letters between her and her mother. Um, uh, and it's absolutely beautiful and biting. Her mother had a wicked wit. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's where Louisa May got that. Her mother could be viciously mean. Uh, and I, that's where you, Louisa May gets a bit of that. And I love that Greta takes not only the ideas from the book, but the actual ideas. She's closing the gap between Joe and Louisa May Alcott and showing us that these women were the same. Louisa May Alcott uh, went on to become very wealthy. She educated her sisters. She sent her, she sent her sister off to, to France to paint. She took care of her children. Everything that was in that clip we just, we just heard, that's what she is writing into this version of Little Women. It's very different than that other version. I love Timothy Chalamet. Love Christian Bale in that movie, uh, what, 25, 25 years ago? 25 years ago, yeah. Riders, really, yeah, yeah. A movie that I actually that I really love, too. Yeah, Jillian Armstrong. But yeah. this movie is evermore just aware of where we are now, but it, it still allows this material to live in its time. Uh, and so, yeah, yeah, this is just uh, Mr. Odenkirk, Bob Odenkirk. Oh, yeah. yeah. He was just really wonderful in this movie. Yeah, plays the father. It feels very fresh and alive and yet rooted in this era. Right. She finds that really tricky, beautiful balance. And so, you know, things that you know are coming if you've read the book or seen previous films. The big Joe and Laurie showdown. Yeah. You know, it's just heart stopping because Saoirse Ronan and Timothy Chalamet have such tremendous chemistry with each other. So, right. It's, it's a good balance of what we know with an alive and very fresh new take on it. Mm. Little Women. Greta Gerwig adapted.
adapted it, directed the film. It's rated PG and in wide release. Also going into wide release this week, uh, one of our critics' favorites of the year, Uncut Gems, directed by the Safdie brothers, Benny and Josh. Uh, They also wrote the screenplay with Ronald Bronstein. Adam Sandler stars uh, along with supporting performances from Kevin Garnett and Adina Menzel. Christy. Adam Sandler doing the absolute best work of his career. Really, truly, when given the challenge, he more than rises to it, and he definitely does here because this is a really difficult performance emotionally, psychologically, physically, in terms of his timing. He plays this jeweler in Manhattan who is trying to keep all these plates spinning at once. He's got a serious gambling problem. He is, like, pawning off jewelry to pay off one person to then make other bets to pay off somebody else. He's got a wife. He's got a girlfriend. But the thing he has which drives this whole story is this giant, opal that he has gotten from Africa, which has been mined and sent to him. And this is the thing he thinks is going to change his future forever. There's always this striving, this neediness, this void that can never be filled. And he thinks that this opal is going to be the ticket to happiness finally. Nothing will ever make him happy, of course. Um, But then it falls into the hands of Kevin Garnett. Kevin Garnett's really good in this. As as Kevin Garnett, it all takes place, what, during the 2012 Mm -hmm. NBA playoffs? Mm -hmm. And uh, Kevin Garnett gets his hands on the opal and that complicates things further. This is cinema of anxiety in a very different way than 1917 was. That is for sure. But this is like it's up here with a buzz that is heightened constantly and yet like you're never overwhelmed by it. Like it actually begins to make sense that people make the decisions that they make. You get so immersed in it. The sound design is really cool. Oh. There's like a Robert Altman-esque kind of like overlayering of dialogue. Um, everyone is great in this. Keith Stanfield's great in it. This is one of my absolute favorites of the year. Yeah. Uncut gems, Tim. Yeah. This, uh, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago yeah. on the show. Uh, yeah, this is a knot in your stomach uh, from beginning to end. Uh, as I say, the Safety brothers uh, start films at 60 miles per hour <laughs> and they keep applying the gas. Uh, and every now and again, when you think they're going to let up, they step on it even harder. Adam Sandler, uh, down for the game, he's, these teeth. He's wearing these prosthetic teeth, <laughs> these capped teeth. And you're meant to notice them, uh, these capped teeth, because it's a thing that these kind of guys do with the gold and all this, this guy. He's one of these guys. He is a lying gambling, flat-out sociopath. He cannot <laughs> help himself. And uh, and this opal is going to save him. It's going to save him. First, there's going to be this auction situation, and then he's going to sell it to get it's, But this movie is just a knot in your stomach from beginning to end. The synth score that mm-hmm. is just that clanging... Daniel LaPine is the name of the guy, and it's just the most horrifying score you've ever heard. <laughs> Perfect. (laughs) You don't like him, but you root for him to succeed, strangely enough. (laughs) Uncut Gems, it's now in wide release. Open this week in theaters all across the area. It's rated R. Adam Sandler stars. Also want to mention that Goldfinger, for its 55th anniversary, has a special one-night screening only at Lemley's Royal in West Los Angeles. Sean Connery, Honor Blackman, of course, Guy Hamilton directing. Christy, is this the best of the Bonds? It's not my favorite, actually. I know it's a lot of people's favorite. It's Roger Ebert's favorite. It's an important one in that he really comes into his own in iconic ways here. Shaken, not stirred. Aston yeah. Martin, you get the gadgets. Oh. It's a fun, sexy one. And that theme song. Yeah, I want you to die. Uh, Shirley Bassey's <laughs> Goldfinger. Yeah, that's what you need. All right. Again, one night only, December 30th. What a great way to close out 2019 at uh, Lemley's Royal Theater in West L.A. Goldfinger is rated PG. You're listening to Film Week on KPECC, and we thank you for all your support. Back in a couple minutes.
Wonderful to have you with us on Film Week. I'm Larry Mantle, coming your way between the two big holidays of Christmas and New Year's. We hope you're having a wonderful time this weekend and finding a movie that suits you. We have a lot of good ones that are out right now. Another one that's been getting strong attention is Invisible Life. It's right now at Lemley's Royal in West L.A. And then early next year, it'll be streaming on Amazon Prime service. The film's directed by Kareem Ainuz, uh, Murilo Hauser, the screenwriter Julia Stockler, and Carol Duarte are the stars of this Brazilian drama. Tim, what would you think of Invisible Life? Well, this is a perfectly beautiful movie, uh, although so, so, so deeply painful. Uh, News made this wonderful movie called Futuro Beach a couple of years ago. Um, and uh, it, 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 too, absolutely beautiful, Sad Saturated in color. It's, uh, mostly we're in Brazil and Rio, in and around Rio. Um, it's about these two sisters. And it's about patriarchy. Uh, and it's about the way the world of these men, set in the 50s, it's about the way the world of these men, particularly their father, uh, operate in separating these women. Uh, and, and they literally separate them. Uh, one of them gets married, and she, she's in this marriage, and it's not at all what she thinks it's going to be. Her husband is a bit of a, a, a goofball and a brute. Uh, and for years and years and years, without knowing it, because of the machinations of these men, they are living in the same city, and they don't even know it. Their lives are diverted completely from what they would, would have wanted their lives to be. They loved each other so, so, so deeply. Um, uh, so, so this movie is about that. Uh, and and what happens when 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 they come back together? The way these things sort of uh, all culminate. Um, uh, the cinematographer is uh, her name is Helene Lavart, uh, and this is just so 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 beautiful. It's all grainy and steeped in color, and the music is this wonderful sort of uh, you know music of the era, that sort of fifties uh, uh, Brazilian sort of, oh, sort, of, sort of sort of vibe. And it's just that great soundtrack. And you watch this movie, and it's and, and it's slow and it's languid, and but when you see these women and you see what they're being put through it just puts it just makes you feel so 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 horrible uh for what for what happened during this period in a sort on a sort of regular basis but it is so lovely the film's invisible life brazilian drama it's rated r it's at lemley's royal theater and then available streaming on amazon prime early next year the horror film apparition stars mina suvari and kevin pollack wayman boone directed mark allen and rob rose are the screenwriters christy this movie's kind of reprehensible and uh, off-putting, and it's coming out anyway, so we're going to talk about it. Um, Mina Suvari and Kevin Pollack are actually not even really in it very much, but they are in it. It takes place at this home for boys, like wayward boys, where all these horrific abuses occurred on the part of the staff, physical abuse, psychological abuse. These are kids who came from you know awful homes and need to be a new life for themselves and they didn't get it in a good way at this place. It begins with a flashback. This young man is sent there after his horribly abusive mother dies. Um, Bad things happen at this place. Jump forward 20 years. There's an app that apparently allows you to connect with the dead. And so all of these young people use the app and it sends them back to this now empty, abandoned home for wayward boys. And so the ghosts of this place are trying to call out to the living to tell their stories of what actually happened and um it's just gratuitous in the way it depicts what happens to these kids um it almost seems to be reveling in their sadness and their fear um it looks really cheaply made it yeah it's not really scary so much as it is (laughs) off-putting i do not recommend 
apparition, <laughs> the horror film. It's unrated at Lemley's Glendale Theater. She's Missing, Irish drama that stars Lucy Fry and Aisha Gonzalez. It's written and directed by Alexandra McGinnis. Tim. Yeah, McGinnis, who is Irish, uh, and this is uh, Irish drama, but not really. It's set in the southwestern United States. Uh, it's about these two women, uh, very, very good friends. One of them is extremely shy and sort of dependent on the other uh, uh, for uh, recognition and validation. Um, uh, her friend goes missing. So the shy one decides to go and see if she can find her. And it's about, you know, not so much the adventures or, or the, the sort of tribulations that she goes through as she's looking for a friend all across the Southwest, all of the folks that she runs into, the things that she finds out about her friend that she did not know, but more the things that she finds out about herself, her own resilience. It slips off into the sort of cultish place. There's a cult sort of out there in the middle of the desert where some people are uh, that she comes uh, into contact with Josh Hartnett, sort of like the handsome study sort of, uh, um, I don't know oh, what, who's what's his name who killed uh, all the folks uh, uh, back in 1969 one of those kind of guys okay. Ted Bundy uh, thank no uh, well Ted Bundy's good enough <laughs> um, um, and and, and 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 she gets involved with this cult but by now she's figured out who she is and it, it's about what she decides to choose about how she recognizes who the people are around her and it's about what she decides to do with her life from that point forward after she goes looking for her friend it's a very very good little moody movie She's Missing, the film uh, starring Lucy Fry, uh, Aisha Gonzalez, and Josh Hartnett, written and directed by Alexandra McGinnis. It's unrated at Lemley's Glendale Theater. And the German animated film Ice Princess Lily is directed by Sven uh, Unterwald, uh, and it's rated PG. Tim? It's so, so bad. It, it, <laughs> it, 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 for so many different reasons, this sort of flat yet 3D um, uh, primary colored animation. It's about this little dragon who doesn't have a fire and he, and he, and he goes off to this land, Greenland, uh, where he's going to find his fire and it's about these uh, uh, the snowman and all these polar bears that are in Iceland uh, and, and his parents and, and, and this ice princess and the, who's being deceived by this evil snowman and it's full of all of this dialogue that children are not going to understand <laughs> but it's so rudimentary in its sort of visual presentation that I just assumed that it was for really, really small children, two, three, four, year old children but it couldn't possibly be for children that young i don't think so anyway i mean you, you have it's kids. rated pg yeah. i mean as i was watching it I, I agree that it is terrible and i'm thinking who is this for and it must really only be for very small children but you're right the actual meat of it would be very confusing and borderline irresponsible in that it depicts this rift between greenland and iceland like they're at war with each other yeah that's dumb that's not helping the youth of america <laughs> anyway it rips off what frozen right? I'm trying to picture. right we're gonna buy greenland and it's gonna be okay um no but it, it rips off frozen you've got this ice princess in, in like an ice blue shimmery dress kind of like elsa it rips off the how to train your dragon movies because the dragon has to like find his way in the world you've got this wizard of oz element where they go to this like great and powerful feature figure who's going to fix it all for them but he's not who he seems and then there's like wisecracking ladybug who says silly things and there's mean wolves who make fun of the dragon it's yeah I don't know who this is for actually mm. now that I think about it Ice Princess Lily <laughs> an animated feature that that is so comparatively obscure Charles Solomon our animation critic wasn't even informed of it so wow. so they av- avoided his wrath on it <laughs> um, it's at several of the Lemley theaters Sven 
Ben Unterwald Jr. is the director. It's rated PG. Before we conclude this week's film week, I'd be remiss if I didn't hear what our critics had to say about the film adaptation of Cats. <laughs> and uh, Christy, I know you particularly oh would goodness. like to take this on. Can we do like another entire hour just on Cats? Yes, I don't Cats, think we have enough time. Show. Oh my God, Cats the everything. It's just baffling, and yet it must be seen. And so, if you guys recall, in 1981, when Cats came out, it was a phenomenon, right? People would go see Cats, and they'd come back, and like they'd wear their hoodie from Cats to show the world they'd seen Cats. Now, all this time later, we have a film version of Cats, and it's just bizarre, because they're like wearing digital fur, this all-star cat wearing mm. digital fur, but then they have hands and feet, and then sometimes they wear clothing, sometimes they're naked, and none of them have any genitalia. Anyway, it's Cats. It's, it's the Jellicle Ball and the Jellicle Cats all sing their songs so that old Deuteronomy will pick one of them to go off to the heavyside layer and live a happy life or die. How do you interpret the heavyside layer, Tim? Oh, I, um, I, I think it's like a tenth life or something like that. I think it's like a re, it's like a reboot of the cat. Look, this, this first of all, this is freakish in all the possible interpretations of the word freak. Uh, the way it looks, it's very horny. And, and I, don't think, I don't think I didn't care for that at all, man. Uh, you know, and, and it's mostly just kind of scary. It must be seen, though. See it in a theater with people. It's bad, but you've got to experience I laughed so hard. I had this great catharsis afterward. I felt so good. Cockroaches with faces. <laughs> Cats, directed by Tom Hooper. It's rated PG and it is in wide release. For our Film Week critics, I'm Larry Mantle. Thanks for joining us. And we deeply appreciate all your support for Film Week on KPCC.